millennials, we're going to witness the biggest wealth transfer that's happened. It's like $80 trillion is going to be transferring from boomers into the hands of millennials. And that millennials see the more holistic value than just the single bottom line profit and are four times more likely statistically to buy a more expensive eco-friendly product. Those two things are really foundational when we look at the changing of the tides that's coming when we see millennials starting to become the major financial decision makers. I have a lot of hope. Before any world-changing innovation, there was a moment, an event, a realization that sparked the idea. Before It Happened is a show about that idea. I'm Donna Laughlin, and each week I'll take you on a deep dive into a singular light bulb moment that inspired the visionaries to push forward and change our lives. On this podcast, you'll hear from innovators from an array of industries and philosophies who imagined and are still imagining the future. Grab your passport and let's go on a journey together. Have you ever thought about who might be the richest people in the world? Would they be tech founders like Elon Musk or Jeff Bezos? Superstar investors like Warren Buffett or George Soros? Or how about some of the royal families still scattered around Europe and Asia? Sure, individually, these people are among the wealthiest in the world. But if you think even bigger, the answer might surprise you. The richest people on the planet are actually people aged 70 years and older. That's right. Over their adult lives, members of the baby boomer generation have collectively saved somewhere between 30 and $70 trillion worth of assets, more than any generation in history. You've probably heard people talking recently about how the biggest wealth transfer in history has begun. And it's true, the generations that came after the baby boomers are already starting to inherit some of that wealth, and it's expected to continue for the next 20 to 30 years. What that means for us is that our younger generations, specifically millennials and Gen Z, are going to see their collective wealth grow faster than any generation before them. And this is going to bring about a revolutionary change in finance and investing. This is what my guest today thinks about all day, every day. Will Pettifee is the head of ESG Investing for Interactive Brokers. ESG stands for Environmental, Social, and Governance. ESG investing is a fancy way of saying investing with your heart or investing with purpose. This is Will's passion. His purpose is to help guide younger generations who want to invest with their conscience. He recently led Interactive Brokers launch of an investment app called Impact that makes it easy for retail investors to find and put their money into companies that share their values around issues like the environment, diversity, or social change. His goal is to make mission-driven investing the standard rather than the exception for the next generation of investors. Well, has been around finance his entire life. His father, Tom Pettifee, is the man who actually launched Interactive Brokers. When he started the company in 1977, it was the first electronic trading platform in the world. Today, it's the largest. Well says that just by living in the same house as his father, he and his two sisters absorbed the basic concepts of finance and capitalism and supply and demand at a young age. But his father also helped shape him in other ways that would have an even greater impact on his life, mainly when it came to his love of the outdoors. 
I spent a lot of time in the outdoors and I've always been very drawn to the natural environment and through challenging times in my life, I would always find peace and harmony going into the woods. And so that was just a huge inspiration for me in, in figuring out my life path was really seeing the real-time destruction of our natural world and seeing what I could do, what was within my power to be able to impact that for the better. Did you experience that at a really young age before college and before your professional career? Do you have a moment that you can reflect on it when you were a child that maybe you had that epiphany? So the epiphany moment came actually when I was in college that had more to do with my professional decisions. But when I was 16, I, I engaged in a group called NOLS, which stands for National Outdoor Leadership School. And I spent my summers from 15 to 18 doing Knowles courses. And my first one was this such an amazing thing for anybody to experience. It was a 300 mile backpacking trip across Alaska. And that was a month out in the bush. And at that time in life, you know, 15 is can be a challenging time. And it was that experience that really solidified within me, like, this is who I am. This is what I care about, this lifestyle really connected to the natural world was where it was at for me. And so that was a big epiphany in my younger years. And then the the more professional decision came later in college. So you're kind of in between two E's, the environment and the economics with the work that your father was doing. Were you the one that kind of took the lane of the environmental or is, you know, is this a family thing or is this this kind of unique for yourself? My sisters and I all share a deep love of the natural world. And that's something that we all got. And a large part due to my father, we would go up to our house in Woodstock when we were younger and we'd go on walks in the woods together. And he would really explain what was going on in the ecosystem, in the ecology, and having a really deep understanding of how ecological systems function, I think gave all of us kids this viewpoint of systems thinking and seeing how in any system, all stakeholders, all players in that system have an impact. And that was such a huge part of this, you know, more the financial route that I took was seeing how our financial system or our economy was disjointed. And it was really this understanding of the term externalities that got me to understand that our, you know, our system was great for the time and it needs evolving. It needs to become holistic because I would, you know, I'd think about a forest, for example, and there's never a time in a forest where there's a, a swarm of insects that's flying around and it's not eating something, it's not food for something and not having an impact. So all impacts need to be accounted for when we look at a system as a whole. And so it was these understandings about our ecology that really brought me to want to bring that to our economy. One of the things that Bioneers focuses a lot on is the principle of biomimicry, which you know we find when we're looking at addressing a solution that nature usually has a solution that's better than we can come up with on our own if we look hard enough and listen hard enough. And so it's really kind of taking this principle of biomimicry and applying it to our economic systems. So let's talk about Bioneers a little deeper. The, the organization's been around for 25 years, I believe, 25 plus years? Actually, 30 years. They're the same age as I am. We were born on the in the same year. 
Wow. Well, it's interesting because obviously the pioneering work that they've done has been instrumental to in, in influence you. So you started out as a volunteer with them and then you're currently a board of directors. So can you talk a little bit about the evolution of how you got involved? And, and it sounds like that was in college originally. Yeah. So my mother took me to my first Bioneers conference. I believe I was around the age of, I was 20. And again, similar to Knowles, when I experienced that environment and that community and the work that Bioneers was undertaking is, is again, I had this moment of like, oh, this is my cup of tea. This is really the work that lights me up and I'm passionate about. And I really like took that as, as a young man, as, as a huge kind of inspiration for my direction in life. And then it was after I, so I spent time out of college in Northern California, and that's when I was doing a lot of regenerative agriculture stuff. So when I was in college, I spent my summers working on regenerative ranches in Montana. And this is actually where I had that epiphany moment. So it was around this time that I was really engaging again, like with regenerative agriculture, I was studying environmental studies in college. And in my summers, I would work on these ranches, which was was so fun for me at that age. And I would, you know, wake up at sunrise, saddle up my horse and go move cows and fix fence on the prairie. It was awesome. And it was this savory method, regenerative style of land management, which is quite different from the traditional style of land management. It's really mimicking how grazing animals would operate if we still had predators around, which means they you know, they would stay in these tight herds and all move together out of you know the need for defense. And when we removed the wolves and the bears, the animals changed their style of grazing and they kind of wander around and eat the things they like and leave the things they don't. And they're not performing their function really as as a lawnmower and a fertilizer and a tiller, which is what a large group of grazing animals does. And so Alan Savory figured this out and the, the method is called the Savory method, but it's pretty much like you do an equation for how much grass you've got, how many cows you've got, and then how long they need to spend in a certain specific area. And you end up moving this, you know, your herd of, of cattle every week, kind of on average as opposed to traditional methods where they move maybe once a year into these really large pastures. So it takes a lot more work to move them so often and to figure out that equation. And I remember this one morning, I was out on the perimeter of the property fixing our fence, and I saw this very clear, distinct line between our side and the neighboring side, whereas our side was this lush, thick, diverse, healthy grass with dark topsoil that was, you know, holding water. And then just on the other side, this very clear line, it was dust and desert. And I thought to myself, like, why isn't everybody doing this way? The value that's being created here is so clear. Yet, for some reason, this is taking a long time to catch on. And so then that was when I started engaging more in our family investments and I kind of was a push to have some of these regenerative ranches in our investment portfolio. And I started to see the reports come back. And I started to see that this style of land management generally lost a little bit of money on average or broke even. And that's when I pieced it together that we have an economy that is valuing only the toenail of an elephant, so to speak, not looking at the whole elephant as a whole. And that the value being created, which was a healthy ecosystem, is 
left off the balance sheet and treated as an externality in our economy. So we see this with our ecosystems, with our air, with our ocean, all of these things that are considered externalities in the equation. But we're seeing today that we live in this very interdependent world and all of these things that are left kind of in the shadows or off of the balance sheet are not getting cared for or accounted for. So that's where, you know, my epiphany moment happened when I really just started to focus on what can I do to create a more holistic, inclusive accounting or value system through our economy. So skipping to after college is when I went and I lived in Northern California. I took my permaculture design course. I took a community development course. I was learning a lot about, again, regenerative land management and This is when my family created our family foundation. And so my sisters and I, all being environmentally motivated, were a push to create this philanthropic foundation. And we had all collectively, the three of us, been visiting that for some time. Like, wow, one day maybe we'll be able to make a positive impact here. And it was extremely challenging to figure out how to create a portfolio that was not contributing to the very problems we were attempting to solve with our grant making. And that's kind of what set me off in the financial direction because I started to see and understand the massive impacts that our financial decisions have. And so I pivoted and moved to Manhattan. Then I started working in finance and learning as much as I could about how our financial systems function. I worked at a couple of different hedge funds and I got much more involved with the investments for our, our foundation. And it was when I left there after three years that I left extremely disheartened. I started to see how most of our decisions having to do with large-scale finance are really just singularly pointed at that single bottom line of, of monetary return. And I left there feeling like I can't necessarily be in this world. There's no heart here. And that's when I moved to New Mexico and I started really focusing my professional career in, in the nonprofit of Bioneers. That's when I started working for them full time and in that environment of inspiration. And on the third year of that is when I really saw what was mine to do and the direction I wanted to go. And that's when I joined Interactive Brokers and was a big push for our ESG initiatives, which we're doing internally and externally. And, you know, a part of that is the development of the Impact app, which was really a solution because I saw how, like, for me, somebody who has a financial background and has resources and support, it took me a year of really hard work to develop a values-aligned portfolio. And so then I started wondering how in the world can everybody do this if it was that challenging for me? And then I started to see the development of ESG and the evolution of the data that we have access to now. We have all access to so much more data around a company, around its values, around its impacts than we ever had before and started to see how we could apply this to create, again, an automated tool that would allow for values-aligned investing, make that kind of a simple, seamless, and enjoyable experience. For those who do not know what the ESG title stands for, Environmental, Social, and Governance. And that's a really powerful an important role within any company. Can you talk a little bit about what that role means to you? And then we'll jump into impact and what impact is all about. I think, especially in the finance space, it's really important that we do take a step back and look at from a critical thinking, introspective place, what is ESG? What does that actually mean to us? 
when we look at a lot of institutional finance, it's sad, but it's part of the world. There's a lot of greenwashing that's going on. There's a lot of, oh, we're just checking this box because everybody's doing it. And BlackRock now said that you have to do it. Whereas when we actually take a step back to look at ES and G, we have environmental, social, and governance. We have the impacts that a company or a project has from each of those aspects. And, you know, we're starting to see that G really leads the way when it comes to ES and G because, you know, governance decisions directly impact what a company is doing environmentally and socially. And it also really depends on the network or the industry that a project is in, how heavily they're going to be rated on which one, ES or G. For example, Interactive Brokers being mainly a, a fintech company, we don't have a ton of environmental impact. You know, where we're getting our energy and our power from is probably the most influential in that department. But how we're running our governance structure is actually, you know, the most impactful for us as an organization. Whereas, you know, a shipping company or something like that is going to have more of a focus on how they're doing environmentally. And so when I saw ESG, that's when honestly I had this spark of hope because I had left, you know, my experience in the hedge funds really, again, disheartened, like, oh, there's there's no heart in this world. I, I didn't see hope for how it could turn into this regenerative or holistic economy. And when I saw ESG start taking off, and again, the data that's supplied there is when I started to see, wow, this is, it's a baby step at the time being for the direction our economy needs to go. And I think that that's why interactive brokers could be seen as a leader in this ESG space, because we're really looking at it as that it is but a baby step at the time being and it really needs a lot further integration into the system as a whole and so that's why the impact app is unique and revolutionary in that it coagulates the esg data in a way that we can understand personally so it's like it'll start off by asking you what do you care about that's the first step within the process of using impact and then based on, you know, my highest value hypothetically is ocean life. I can put that in there as this is the most important thing to me in the world. And it will then rate my portfolio from a lens that's really focused on ocean life. You can create, you know, your own personalized combination of these different values to really reflect who you are. And it will then match your investments with those values and let you know how aligned the impact is that you're having on the planet is with what you've stated to care about. And that's where it's really unique. And one of the things that we see in ESG that's there's a lot of hope there and how it's getting, you know, really embraced and there's a lot of passion behind the ESG movement. But we're also seeing that depending on the data provider that you go to, each company has a different score. It's kind of very challenging to accurately and holistically and collectively rate the impacts of a company, it really depends on where you're getting that data from. And there's a lot of evolution that needs to continue in the ESG investing space. And we're seeing it happen with organizations like SASB that are really creating a framework or a, a standard that we can all look to when it comes to ESG values. Hey there, it's Donna. I want to invite you to go check out some of our past conversations with game changers and innovators who are shaping our future. You'll meet people like Damon Motorcycles co-founder Jay Giroux, who is leading the EV revolution on two wheels. Or Mercedes Soria, a leading advocate and mentor for women in tech and co-founder of Nightscope, 
a trailblazing AI-powered autonomous security company. I learned something, actually a lot of somethings, every time I talk to a new guest. They're pioneers. They're thought leaders in their fields. They all have inspiring stories to tell, and I share them with you every week. So if you're enjoying these episodes, please hit subscribe and join me for more stories about the moments before it happened. Let's talk about the millennials, because I think one of the things that I read, you know, you stated that over the next 10 years, we're going to witness the biggest wealth transfer the world has seen. And this is going to be a big push by the millennials. So let's talk about that, because obviously the generation, the millennials, and then even the Zoomers that are coming up next, it's a very important period of time and consciousness. I think we go, as I was saying, from just accepting, oh, this is the way it is, to no, we have higher expectations based on these values. I mean, that's, again, such an area of hope when we look at our systems and how we're going to make it through this paradigm shift that I think a lot of us see is underway. It has to do with the life experience of this generation of millennials. For example, we grew up with the internet. We grew up really understanding the interdependence of our collective planet. One of the themes that One Small Planet's focused around is that we have this one small planet that we all live on to take care of together. It's really, it is finite, it is small. And all of our actions collectively impact the health of that one small planet that we we saw from outer space, you know, that shifted our consciousness. And so one of the statistics or a few of the statistics that I use to really push for the development of ESG at IB was that millennials were going to witness the biggest wealth transfer that's happened. I think the metric's constantly changing. The last time I looked, it's like $80 trillion is going to be transferring from boomers into the hands of millennials. And that millennials see the more holistic value than just the single bottom line profit and are four times more likely statistically to buy a more expensive eco-friendly product than a lesser expensive mass-produced harmful product. Those two things are really foundational when we look at the changing of the tides that's coming when we see millennials starting to become the major financial decision makers. I have a lot of hope. Your father taught you some great knowledge and and investing in economics. What do you think parents should be teaching? I mean, millennial, older millennials are having children now and need to start investing in their future and the kids' future. What should parents be teaching their kids or can they teach, you know, using the impact app? Mm-hmm. I mean, so much. I'm very excited to undertake that journey of fatherhood one day. And I have a lot that I would want to teach my young ones. And I think the biggest thing is take that personal step, which, you know, we can create as many tools that are focused on ESG or impact investing as possible, but they're going to be useless if individuals don't take that introspective step to really understand what is it that they care about. Because if we all are kind of speaking up for those things that we personally believe in, we're going to bring ourselves into a more harmonious planet for everybody. And it's really that understanding that every investment is an impact investment. It really just depends if you're aware or conscious of that impact or not. And it's, you know, that's really any action that we take has impact and really taking the time, I think, with your children to have them mindfulness practices, introspective practices to understand 
what is it that they are most passionate about? Like when we're working in an area or acting in an area that we're passionate about, we're a lot more effective. And then the next step there, which I'm constantly doing, is assessing every action that we take in our lives and assessing, is that aligned with this value? Is that creating more of this thing that I want in the world or, or less of that? And then it's that next step is to understanding the values inherent in a project or a company. And I found through my investment experience and my professional careers that if I really believe in something and I, I really highly value that thing, chances are a lot of other people feel that same way too. And that is going to be something that's valuable in the world. And we see when we look at, you know, the economy from a very meta perspective is that things that people believe in are what become valuable. And that's when gold we used to believe was the most valuable thing. And so it became this very valuable asset. And what we're seeing with the blockchain and what really excites me there is that we're able to create currencies and assets that are backed by different values. And so we're able to invest more directly in what we care about, specifically through different currencies, as opposed to just having one currency that speaks for all value. Let's talk about One Small Planet. So One Small Planet and Interactive Brokers, kind of in tandem. So did Interactive Brokers working on the Family Foundation and then One Small Planet, is that the order in which they arised? No, so One Small Planet's the newest. One Small Planet is my, it was my vision. So pretty much all of the actions that One Small Planet takes, I was doing personally on my own. And we have four pillars of, of action. And so we have our FIRE fund, which functions very similarly to a VC, but we consider ourselves a vital capital group because we only invest in what's vital for life to thrive on this planet. And we see this VC or vital capital group as an area where we're kind of on the offense and we can make systemic change. If we can get financial return and we're having a positive impact in our community and our environment, that's where we see really big systemic change being able to take off, where monetary gain is not at the expense of our natural world. And so we have that VC pillar. We also have our philanthropic arm, which is our water pillar. And that's kind of coming from this place of understanding we are in somewhat of a broken system and that communities, really largely marginalized communities or indigenous communities, are on the front lines. They're taking the brunt of a lot of the impacts of this broken system where really valuable work isn't necessarily accounted for or valued in the system. And so our grants kind of go to these frontline communities mainly to support them to grow stronger and become more powerful. And then we have our earth pillar, which is active regenerative land projects. So we are regenerating land that's been desertified or degraded. And in this, we're also piloting a lot of new technologies like monitoring technologies to be able to monitor different ecological data points. And, you know, I look at this as kind of similar to like the hundred monkey theory. We all got into Fitbits not that long ago. We all started noticing, oh, it's really helpful to take care of my overall health if I can see these metrics pretty clearly on my little watch. And so if we can see these different data points coming in and be able to track the health of our ecologies around the globe, we can then start accounting for them and we can then start to create systems that incentivize the healing of them. 
And then Air is kind of our most to be developed at the moment, but we're very excited about it in the future, is kind of our, you know, our social arm. So hosting and attending different events, speaking on panels, as well as creating content that can educate and bring awareness to these issues. Can you talk a little bit more about how these communities and indigenous can get grants and what's that process that one would apply for those grants? Yeah. And that's one of the areas where, you know, OSP does things a bit differently than traditional philanthropy in that really understanding that the amount of money that's given to nonprofits through grants is statistically, I don't remember the exact number, but very little of that actually gets to the people on the ground that are needing the support. A lot of it gets eaten up in in bureaucracy and operations and a lot of that of these larger nonprofits. And so OSP, like the style that I personally started taking on and were growing is really personal relationship with those that were supporting. I think the biggest thing with that is again, really having an understanding of exactly where the money is going and that it's really going to those who know what to do with it because we on the other side of the table don't have the best understanding of what is actually needed for these communities. So imagine if you go back and visualize the financial world where it is, the crypto and the values-based and equity and inclusion. I mean, did you imagine that the market would evolve the way it has and the movement that you're actually leading? Could you foresee that? I'm so excited to see it. You know, there's actually a term for it now, which is so exciting. Refi, regenerative finance is, is a term that's starting to become more and more used. And it's something that, again, I'm, we're in this very interesting space collectively that I'm sure a lot of listeners can relate to is there's hope. And then there's also so much destruction that we're seeing and so many problems that we're seeing. And they're kind of like going a bit neck and neck. Like we have more problems that we maybe we've ever been aware of before. And we're also seeing the birth of so many of these solutions that are happening in every space. Like it's, it's a holistic paradigm shift. We're seeing it in social dynamics. We're seeing it when it comes to healthcare and mental health. And just the way that we're going about everything these days is so much more holistic and I think heartfelt. And so answer to your question, it's happening faster than I thought. And I, I couldn't be happier about it. I can't imagine, you know, looking at your father created the, his business, Interactive Brokers, 30 years ago. And if he... I mean, light years to see how the industry has changed. What do you think the big hedge funds and investment type companies should learn from impact and the values that impact, but also just one small planet? What would you tell them? Get in front of the wave. It's a massive wave that's coming with this transition. And I love surfing. It's one of my favorite activities to really tap in. And you're much better off if you start off in front of the wave. And this is happening with this 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 tide shift is is occurring and people are going to start being held more accountable for the impact that they have on the planet. And it's no longer acceptable to say, okay, well, I'm doing this, but I'm also creating this mega profit for my shareholders. It has to be both are now transparent. And that's one of the biggest things that impact highlights is the transparency that we now have with every corporation. And that's only going to grow and it's only going to become more accessible. And as millennials start becoming the bigger financial decision makers and the Zoomers, and this awareness starts to you know continue to spread, 
that is going to be just the standard for when it comes to investing and the standard for how valuable we see a company or an operation. And this movement is not stopping. It's just going to pick up more space and more speed and more momentum and more people. And so for the longevity of your fund or your company, I would suggest getting in front of the wave and taking joy in it. It's fun to change and evolve. And that's what we're all doing through this this finance movement. I've seen college curriculum now offering ESG and blockchain courses. Wow. I'm hoping that in the near future, we start seeing that evolve into high school because that would be pretty cool if the high school kids are coming out with this knowledge that then they can apply back into the real world and make a difference. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I would love that. I think especially in the high school years, understanding the the massive influence that our economy and our, our financial institutions and systems have, you know, that's so helpful in understanding really how the world works and how we can all as individuals, you know, and that's one of the other things the Impact App is really focused on is creating, you know, making investing accessible and easy. Like I've found that so many people are intimidated just even by the term investment or, you know, a lot of these financial terms that are used. And having that understanding from a young age and then giving people the support, the education, and also the tools to become empowered around their role as a creator on this planet. We are all collectively creating this planet together. And some of the most impactful decisions that we make is around our finances. And I think one of the less beneficial things that happened over the past generation was maybe this kind of like how a lot of people will off put their responsibility of their financial decisions and just say like, oh, this is confusing to me. I'm scared. And so I'm just going to give this to an investment advisor and they're going to do whatever with it. I know that I'm not going to lose my money, but it's also not looking at all of the impact that where your money is, is having. So I would love to see more of that in the high school space. In some ways, Impact works like other investment apps we've seen. You start an account, transfer in some money, and start trading. But Impact lets you specify your own personal values and search just about every public market for the companies that align themselves with those same values. It also has a feature that helps you find philanthropic organizations and nonprofits that you would like to support. You know, one of the ways that in the end that it functions is you see your portfolio through this values lens and there's a section around the exterior ring so that you get a letter grade for your portfolio as a whole. But then each section speaks to a position that you have in your portfolio and it's color coded. So when you see that this, you know, it's not this deep, healthy green, it's this yellow, you can hover over it. It'll show you the position that you have that's out of line with what you've stated to care about. And then we'll give you suggestions for companies that are in a similar industry with a similar market cap that are more aligned with your values. And then innovative feature we put in there that we think is pretty slick is called Swap. And you can just immediately swap your assets from one company to the other, making that alignment process really seamless and easy. But yeah, download it, there's no commitment. You don't have to put your money in there and you can just start exploring how comfortable you feel with the impact investing regenerative finance space. Anything with like STEM related, I, I mean, that to me, this is, this is another example of why STEM education is so important because the financial aspect, obviously understanding numbers and science and the intersection of both of those come into to investing with impact, which I think is great. 
So teachers, I think, should look at impact as a means to maybe even take it to the classroom and teach to, you know, you can use the app without using real money. There's a little bit of funny money there when you say play money, but use that as an educational tool because I think it's great, you know, for that, not just for parents, but in the classroom sector as well. Just that understanding that where we put our money, the return is so much more than just we see monetarily, like the return I think just a huge part of this paradigm shift is that value is so much more comprehensive than just what's represented with dollars and that we're going to see our economy evolve to start representing that. And so it's a super exciting time to learn and get engaged. That was Will Pettifee. You know, ESG investing is already a major force on Wall Street. Over the last decade, the largest and most powerful institutional investors in the world have pushed companies to diversify their boardrooms, reduce their admissions, or improve worker conditions. But those are massive organizations that manage hundreds of billions of dollars in assets. With Impact, Will says he wants to empower retail investors who have the same kind of influence by helping them align their portfolios with the world they want to live in. And there's no better place to start than with the most socially responsible and soon to be wealthiest generation of investors the world has ever known. Thank you for listening. Follow Before It Happened on Instagram and Twitter. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and share the show wherever you listen to podcasts. Before It Happened is produced by me, Donna Laughlin, along with Studio Pod Media. The executive producer is Katie Sunku Wood, and all episodes are written and developed by Jack Brewer, with additional editing and music provided by Noda Lab. <laughs>